God's word that we meditate on today is our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah chapter 56. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who will hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them, besides those already gathered. This is the word of the Lord. I've been on this planet for four decades, a little bit more. Uh, and I can't think of a time in my lifetime, and, and maybe some of you have a few more decades than me, and some of you less, and maybe you can't either. I can't think of a time when there has been this much division in our world. It seems like on every single level possible, people are divided. People can't see eye to eye. They have different opinions, different beliefs, different viewpoints, different platforms that they stand on and can't come around and see the perspective of others. And there is division on almost every single level in our society today. And just take the racism and the inequalities that are going on. They've always existed. But we have to admit right now, they are forefront in our minds and in our cities. You just see the division and the pain and the sadness and the anger it's causing. You look at this coronavirus that we're what into now, six months, I lost count. Right? And the division that this causes, right? It physically divides people, right? You probably have family members or friends you have not seen since this all started. It's physically dividing us as a congregation, isn't it? There's some of us here in the building. There's some watching online this morning. We now have two services instead of one. Right? It's dividing us. There's division when it comes to the stats and the reliability and the seriousness of all of this, right? There's division about these little things right here, right? This coronavirus thing is just causing so much division among us. Or you think about politics, and maybe we shouldn't even get started on politics, right? We're, we're going to do a whole sermon series, five weeks on the church and politics, and it, that's coming up after this one. But oh, has there ever been such division, right? Where we can't even begin to think about what the other side is saying, right? The division between red and blue and conservative and liberal and the moderates, and it's just so much hard to take. There's division when it comes just to what we think professional athletes should do. To, should they kneel or not kneel, right? I mean, just, we all have these different viewpoints and different opinions that just cause division among us. Or, how about this one? A little lighter. Three streets down. What's the name of that street? Is it German? Or German? Germain? I've heard a whole bunch of it. My wife tells me it's Germain. I'm not quite so convinced, right? We're even divided on the name of a street, right? 
trying to lighten things a little bit here. But the division that we have, right? The division that exists in our relationships, in, in our city, in our town, in our country, in our world. It's all over. But division's nothing new, right? This isn't something new to the world. It's been going on for, uh, since the beginning of, since the fall into sin. And it wasn't, and the Israelites were not immune to division either. In fact, some of the division was ordained by God. God had told his Old Testament people, separate yourselves. You are not to be like the other nations around you. You are to look different. You are to be different. And so he gave them laws, right? Dietary laws, uh, circumcision, uh, festivals, things that they would do that others didn't do that would set them apart, make them different, would cause a division. And maybe that's why these words of our sermon text this morning from Isaiah 56 might have come at first as a shock to the ears of those Old Testament Jews. Just a little context of the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is 66 chapters long. It's a long one, right? Here we are, chapter 56, so we're very near the end. The first half of Isaiah is a lot about judgment, punishment, captivity, because of the sins of the people. God's people have disobeyed him, have worshipped other gods, have not repented, and God keeps warning, judgment is coming. You will be taken off as exiles out of, your, out of this promised land that I gave you, there will be captivity for your sins. There will be punishment for what you have done and what you keep on doing. The second half of Isaiah that we're in here, obviously, in chapter 56, has the main central theme of comfort, consolation, the promise that God would not forget his people, that he would be faithful to that promise, and he would bring them back from captivity, they would be exiles and be brought back to that promised land after that time that God had appointed would be finished. God would redeem his people. God would keep that promise that he had made, that he would send a savior through, this, through these Old Testament Jews. But this section we have here from chapter 56 seems a little out of place. It seems like, who are you talking to? Because he mentions foreigners. The people that God wanted the Jews to separate themselves from. To divide themselves from. And here, there's nothing but gracious promises for foreigners. So you understand why these words might have been a little shocking. Surprising, maybe even a bit disturbing to those Old Testament Jews, when they heard God say through his prophet Isaiah, foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these, these foreigners, I will bring to my holy mountain and I will give these foreigners joy in my house of prayer. They're going to come and they're going to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices that are going to be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for not just the Jewish nation, but for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, he's going to bring them back from captivity. He's going to keep that promise. But also, he says, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. 
God says, I'm going to be faithful to you, and I'm going to save you, my people. But there are more. There are more that I long to be gathered. There are more that I long to call into my house and be my people. What did the Jews think when they first heard this? Well, we're God's chosen people. We're his chosen possession, right? We are the ones, the, the heirs of the promise, not them. Maybe they felt a little bit like outsiders here for a moment. <laughs> right? That division that God had created for them is now seemingly gone. Being demolished. Do you know who this prophecy is about in Isaiah 56? you know who these words are foretelling? It's you. You are the foreigners. You are those who God will bring to his holy mountain. You are those who he brings into his presence, into his house of prayer with joy. You are the ones that he has bound to himself. And not through keeping dietary laws. And not through observing the Sabbath. And not through doing all these certain things that God's Old Testament people had to do to separate themselves. But he bound you to him through the gracious waters of your baptism. As your God claimed you to be his very own. To be a member of his household. No longer a foreigner, an alien, a stranger, but now a member of the household of God. Chosen, dearly loved, his prized possession. This is you. This is who it's talking about. These words of Isaiah written about 2,700 years ago foretelling how you would be bound to the Lord, how you would become his servant, how you would, would come and love the name of the Lord, how you would be brought to his holy mountain and to know him as your Father and God and Lord. Friends, this is you. You were the foreigner. And now you are the family member. You are the one that he has brought and given joy. You are the one who has been gathered in. But note the end of verse 8. Right at the end. He says, I will gather still others to them. Besides those already gathered. You see, friends, the gathering's not done yet. <laughs> you know how we know? We're still here. The world's still spinning. Jesus has not yet come back. The gathering is still happening. This verse 8 is not quite yet fully fulfilled. Those who God wants to gather haven't all yet been gathered. The foreigners who he wants to come to his holy mountain and experience his joy and, and, and to, to come in that his house of prayers for all nations isn't quite completely fulfilled yet. And it won't be until Jesus comes back. So what do you think about that? What do you think? The fact that there are more out there that God longs to reach. There are more out there that God longs to gather and to bring to his holy mountain. Foreigners who do not know the peace and the forgiveness and the love of Christ. And you know who they are? All of them. <laughs> Every single one. Right? It doesn't matter. The difference is. 
doesn't matter if they're on the other side of the issue. When you look around at this world, the foreigners are all blood-bought souls of Christ. People that Jesus bled and died for. We are really good at judging other people based on outward things, aren't we? Sinfully speaking, right? Judging people on the basis of their, uh, their political views, or based on their race, or based on their economic status, or based on their education. These are all sinful ways to judge people. There's only one way we are called to judge people. You know what that is? By the cross. To look there and see every sin paid for. To see what God thinks of, of the world. Dearly loved. Worth dying for. That is the only thing we have to judge other people based upon as a Christian. That is a person Jesus bled and died for. That they might know forgiveness and peace in life like I do. And it's everybody. Yes, it is the relative who is on the other end of the political spectrum from you, right? Whatever that is. You have completely different ways of looking at things, but a soul that Jesus bled and died for. Or that coworker. That coworker who, man, you just morally, you, you hardly agree with anything with them. Right? Their views on life and how you live your life are so different, but a soul that Jesus bled and died for. As you look, and you look at even, even the politicians, even the presidential candidates, even those on the other side from you, all souls that Jesus bled and died for. All of those who, who view coronavirus different than you, and, and you know, what pro athletes should do differently than you, what, all of them, people that Jesus bled and died for. Friends, there are foreigners that God longs to still gather in. There are those that he still longs to be in his house of prayer. Did you, did you catch how he said it? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. All nations. Is that a familiar phrase to you? Jesus in Matthew 28 says, Go make disciples of all nations. Is Jesus hearkening back to these words of Isaiah 56? Maybe. Right? That's the command he's given to his church. Go make disciples of not just some, not just those you agree with, not just who, people who see life the way you do, but all nations, all people. Friends, this is good news. That there are no outsiders to the love of God. That there are no outsiders to that mercy that he wants to pour out. There are no outsiders when you look at that cross, that's the message of the gospel that we have to share. That's the message of the gospel that we get to go and proclaim to a divided world. Because it's only in that gospel that unites us, first to Christ, and then to one another, where healing can begin, where reconciliation can happen, where peace can dwell, where forgiveness can be given. That's the only place it can start. 
Because it's in that gospel that you first know that you have been reconciled to God and so I long to reconcile myself to my brothers and sisters. It's in that gospel that there alone you find forgiveness for every sin and now I long to forgive when someone hurts me. It's only in that gospel that you find that peace that surpasses all understanding that you can then say and go, I desire to live in peace and be a peacemaker. Friends, it's only here in the gospel that we can begin to go and make a difference in our world. That where there are divisions and disagreements and discord, there might be peace and unity at the foot of the cross. Where we stand all, all, as sinners, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, covered in the blood, holy in God's sight, heirs of eternal life, there, there alone, do we find all those God wants to bring in and to know these blessings just like we do. Friends, this message of the gospel that we've been given is the one message, the one truth in every other message out there, every other piece of news, every other truth out there. It's the only one that transcends all differences, all politics, all races, all statuses, all differences, all of it is transcended by the gospel. Because in this gospel, you find unity. Unity with your heavenly Father. As you are united to Christ in his life and death and resurrection, there alone where we find unity with one another. So what does this look like? What does this look like as we leave here? Go back to verse 1 of our text. It says, and here he's speaking to, to his people, right? The Old Testament Jews and now you, his people. He says, this is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. The first fulfillment of these words was when Christ came, right? Uh, salvation was close at hand. His righteousness would soon be revealed. We saw that in Christ, right? 700 years after Isaiah wrote, the Savior came. There was salvation. There was righteousness in flesh right there. But there's a final fulfillment to this yet, too. Jesus is coming back. He's coming a second time. And that salvation, that's close at hand. Very soon, his righteousness will be revealed. Right? The time is short. But the world's still spinning. And so what are we to be doing as God's people, as God's chosen people, his special possession, as his very own, who are no longer foreigners, but family, part of his house, what are we to be doing? He says, maintain justice and do what is right. What does that look like? What does that mean? Let me give you one word. Let me break it down and make it really simple for you. Love. Love like Jesus did. Love the foreigner. Love those different from you. Love those who are been pushed down by society and don't pay attention to. Love those who have been forgotten. Love those who are struggling. Love those who are hurting. Love those who are ridden by guilt. Love like Jesus did. And in that love, continue to preach the one message that unites the good news of a Savior. 
that perfect love that our Heavenly Father had for us as he sent that Son to take our place, to take our punishment, so that we might have peace, so that we might have unity with him. Go and proclaim that message in your words and in how you live. Friends, that is what we get to do as the church. That's what we get to do as those who are in the family right now. We get to go and tell others who are not yet in the family that there are no outsiders. There are no outsiders to the Father's love. There are no outsiders to that message of Christ crucified and risen. There are no outsiders to that work of the Holy Spirit who longs to come and convict all sinners of that truth. Friends, this is what we get to do. This is our joy. To go and proclaim the unity we have in Christ that we long for all to know. That's good news. Good news to share. Amen.